Thank you there, Brother Lydic. We had a good time together out at the SAC Museum, and what an uh, awe-inspiring place that is, and the, the patriotic juices get flowing when you go there and see that, and uh, it's uh, really nice to be able to get right close to a lot of the aircraft and get right up uh, in the bomb bays and whatnot. Uh, there, so if you get a chance before you go home and haven't been yet, I really think you guys uh, need to take advantage of that, especially if you live, live around here. That's a real blessing. So appreciate the quartet. What a blessing that last one was, and uh, you guys are doing great. Even Chaz mo moved his head a little bit. Did you see that? <laughs> I, that, <you> know. <laughs> that was really, he's really, you know, coming along. So. <laughs> but his signature move is statue, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he's a good bass singer, though, a good bass singer. That was a blessing. We appreciate that. And uh, wanna, you guys need to thank uh, Brother Gray. You know, he's not only they do, these guys are doing all the, the uh, special music and everything, but then uh, Curtis is, in addition, playing all the, all the piano for us, and Brother Gray's doing all the song leading and the invitations, and they're coming up and going, coming and going, and a lot of work, a lot of extra work for them. So uh, appreciate Brother Gray and uh, Brother Curtis doing the uh, additional help there. Uh, and they've been a blessing to all of us too in their servants' hearts. So a uh, great thing. Good, good for you to encourage them and uh, tell them uh, you appreciate that. Sometimes, you know, the preachers are the ones get uh, thanks a lot. Great, appreciate the message and everything. And other guys that are doing as much work, you know, and have as much invested in preparation and so forth, are um, not, uh, not, we're not, we're not telling them that. And music is uh, certainly, when you look in the scriptures, the music has a, uh, has a vital part in ministry, doesn't it? It uh, really does. So, in fact, uh, you know, a whole book of the Bible is, is uh, a book of music, isn't it? And so we thank the Lord for the uh, ministry of music. We've been blessed in our church uh, to have, um, have a good music program for, for years and, and just, really been uh, been a, a great thing we when we were um, initially with the Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College there in San Dimas only an hour away from where we started the church so we had the blessing for the first several years we started the church of having uh, students from uh, Pacific Coast come out and we had a number of the students that were uh, members of our church that would drive back and forth one of them was Jason Jett as a matter of fact he was a member of our church for a while and he and some of the other young people really put together our first choir it was Brother Higdon led our first choir the other Brother Higdon uh, uh, Jonathan Higdon he established our first real uh, we, we'd had you know hit and miss choirs before but Brother Jonathan and Brother Jett and some of the other young people from uh, Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College uh, helped us get it established and incorporate our own people into it so that when the school moved and all the students left while well, we were we were crying for a while because we had about I don't know, 12 or 14 that would come down that were part of our uh, church family and moved with them my daughter included was one of those uh, uh, that moved with them but what they left behind was a functioning choir of our own you know uh, church members that uh, continued that on and we've had it ever since and so it's been a real blessing and out of that choir has come lots of special music and so on so we we really appreciate uh, those that uh, uh, have contributed to the ministry in the area of music and one of the things that uh, I want to encourage you men to 
to uh, work on with your children, with your grandchildren, with yourselves, if any of you have uh, already have some capability on an instrument to, to, to work on that, you know, to, uh, we've been encouraging that in our congregation for years, and as a result, you know, it takes years to get them to start practicing and then get them to the place where they're proficient and get them a place where they're willing to be up in the front. And, uh, but since uh, many years ago, we've been able to have a, an orchestra uh, and a number of different piano players because we've always tried to get the kids involved and from the time, uh, you know, they could begin to take lessons and such and really encourage parents uh, to to uh, to push their kids uh, to to learn an instrument and that uh, because music is such a vital part of um, of our uh, offering a praise to the Lord we can't we can't do what God wants us to do without without a, a commitment to music you know and so I want to want to uh, just put that put that note in for our guys that do serve in the area of music and the blessing they are to us. So uh, the, the thought tonight is continuing the uh, idea we've been talking about, uh, about guarding our hearts uh, diligently, guarding our soul dil- diligently, but uh, to, I entitled the message tonight, Guard Yourselves. And so look at 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter number 5, we, Brother Marshall, I appreciate that uh, great truth uh, that you uh, shared with us uh, just now and uh, some of the things we're going to, I guess we're going to get to hear the other three uh, from Philippians there or the re- remainder of uh, the, the subject there later. I want to hear what finds out to our other characters that he introduced us to in, the, uh, in, our, in our church. So we've got, we've got those characters in all of our churches, I suppose. Maybe we've been those characters from time to time, you know. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we thank the Lord for the challenge that that is and the, the, th- the help that it is to helping us see ourselves in the areas we need to change. But uh, first, uh, second John, uh, excuse me, first John, I'm sorry, get my thoughts in order here. I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at second John, but I want first John 5, verse 20 and verse 21. Would you stand together and uh, honor the scriptures? Let's uh, read first John 5, verse 20 and 21. I'll read verse 20 and then you folks together, verse 21, first John 5. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. This is the true God and eternal life. Verse 21. Amen. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There's that word keep again. And again, it has the context and the connotation of guarding yourself from idols. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to do that. Father, we uh, pray that as we continue these thoughts that uh, are helping us to learn to guard our hearts and our soul and ourselves, we pray, Lord, that you would Give us something we can we can use today, and uh, and thank you for this time we've had together. We do thank you for the glory bound young people and the blessing they've been to us by giving themselves to serve you in music. I pray that you'd help them, even though it may become routine after time after time after time singing the same songs over and over again in different places. I pray, Father, that over the period of their service, that uh, it would it would never get old to them, and that they would. Uh, 
uh, always uh, sing uh, as they are now from the heart. Uh, and uh, Lord, that they would continue to recognize the ministry that they have in that uh, gift that you have uh, given them and that talent that you, they have uh, honed and are working on. And we just pray you'd uh, bless their lives ahead uh, and help them to, uh, to always honor you with their, with their voices and uh, their lives and their testimonies. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as young people, they uh, would have their testimonies to match at all times their, what they're saying in song, that it would be said in their life and then their uh, attitudes and their actions as well. And I pray, Father, that all of us, that could be the case. We, we sing the songs and we mean it when we sing it and when we're singing the hymns and when we're uh, offering praise to you. We really mean it when we, we're singing them, but sometimes our testimony when we get out in the world and the workaday world and what's going on, we, we, it doesn't really match up with what we've been singing. So help us with that, Lord, and help us to guard ourselves and not to put idols uh, in the way. We ask a blessing on the reading of thy word. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated if you would, fellas. Uh, John ends up this first epistle here with that admonition that he gives us. It's kind of odd. It seems, you know, a little bit funny that he'd end the letter with that admonition. It's like, doesn't even seem to quite fit there if it's in the flow of things, you know. He just all of a sudden says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Bye. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, little children, though, little children, uh, you know, we're in a group of manly men here, and the idea of being called little children, uh, the description of ourselves as little children there. We, uh, we look at that and say, you know, is that, uh, you know, is that accurate? I'm a, I'm a manly man. <laughs> I wouldn't really choose to describe myself if someone came and was interviewing me from the newspaper and said, would you describe yourself? I wouldn't probably use, that. the first thing that came to my mind probably wouldn't be, well, I'm just a little child, you know. <laughs> so I'm a little ignorant child. <laughs> so uh, I would, uh, you know, I would probably not think of that initially, you know. Uh, that's what uh, Solomon did, though, when, uh, you know, when he was talking to God. He said, I'm just a kid. I don't know anything. Uh, Lord, you've got to help me. I feel like I'm a little kid uh, entering into this great task that you have set before me here. And so the, the concept that he introduces there right at the end of his letter is one we, we need to find application in. We, we really are little children. It's in that light and in that perspective that the rest of the thing becomes, uh, you know, more meaningful, the, the keeping of ourselves from idols. It's in this light, though, that the perspective is more accurate, the, not the manly men light, but the little children light, because it does several things. The, the idea of being called and identifying ourselves as little children, the idea of that speaks to our relationship with our Heavenly Father, as Brother Marshall so aptly pointed out earlier, about how God has given us the right, given us the, uh, given us the opportunity to refer to Him in such an intimate term like Papa or Daddy or Abba, Father. And uh, that, that intimate little child to Daddy relationship there is 
uh, is very significant, and it is something that God desires of us. It's true, you men that have children, uh, and we that have children and grandchildren know what it does to our hearts when, uh, when they, uh, uh, when they uh, want to uh, come to us and they want to express their love to us and, and they want, when they want to call us by whatever name they call us when they first learn Grandpa or they first learn Dada or what it is. It just does something to you. You're exactly right, uh, Brother Stevens, with that. And it, it speaks to a very close and intimate, loving relationship. So it's good for us to consider ourselves little children. It also addresses our dependence, you know. We all have our, on our sign, independent Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist, but maybe we would better describe ourselves as dependent Baptists, you know. <laughs> dependent Baptists, dependent on our Heavenly Father always. Dependent upon Him. And so that, uh, that uh, little phrase, little children, does that. It reminds us of our dependence. And then it, it makes, it doesn't leave much room for pride either, you know. If your reference is not manly man but little child, it doesn't put a whole lot of area for us to build pride into that. And it is good. It discourages our self-confidence. Little children, uh, you know, are, are aware of their uh, limitations. Well, to some degree they are uh, as they learn and as they fall and as they hurt themselves. And when they try something and fail, uh, come crying to daddy or grandpa. Uh, they become aware of their limitations. So uh, for us to refer to ourselves and consider ourselves little children, it's, it helps us with uh, uh, overcoming the sin of self-confidence. It's a good thing, good place to start. Uh, we're, we're called things like that in the Bible. Little children, we're called sheep. You know, all, all the animals we would want to be described as, we want to be the lion, you know, or the stallion, you know. Uh, we would want to be uh, uh, the grizzly bear, you know. And God says, I'm going I'm to use the, the sheep to identify you, my, my, my little children. You're going to be sheep, you know. And uh, no defenses, no claws, no fight, you know. Uh, you, know we, we, uh, you don't see sheep in boxing rings, you know, and... Uh, you don't see sheep fights, you know, and that kind of thing. So, so uh, we're sheep, you know, we're sheep. And the term meek is used of us in the scriptures. We're, if we're what we, what we should be, we're called meek. We're described as meek. The meekest man in all the Bible was Moses, meek above all men. And yet we would call Moses a manly man. So meekness and... and uh, being a sheep and being called little children, none of these mean that we are effeminate. That is certainly not the meaning. None of those terms suggest that we are to take a position of effeminates. We are to demonstrate characteristics of men. We are to teach masculinity to our boys and our grandboys. We're, we are to emphasize those characteristics of the distinctions between a man and a woman. We live in a culture where those distinctions are being blurred, you know, and it's been going on for a good while. Uh, and so it's important for us to continue to teach that to the remnant that's out there, uh, that there are distinctions, that men, you know, ought to uh, encourage those distinctions in their children. Uh, children are impressionable, and they learn from what they're taught. So... If there's not a man around to 
to influence the children and to direct them, it's no wonder that they lean in directions other than masculinity, you know. It isn't really the kid's fault, you know. It's, a, it's, the, it's dad's, it's the missing dad or the missing granddad's fault, you know. In the black culture in America, there's a big, you know, there's the big debates now uh, in the various minority groups and the black culture in particular, um, the blame, the blame that goes for, you know, what's happened to the uh, high rate of uh, criminal activity that's so much higher in the black culture, uh, you know, uh, per, per capita and so forth and the jails and so forth like that and the and Hispanic culture and that, that forth, that. And you got, you know, you got bad crackers too. You crackers are as bad as the rest of them. <laughs> but but, uh, but the, uh, there's, a, there's a talk show guy named Larry Elder on the radio. Uh, you may have heard him. He's a black uh, conservative. Um, and there are more and more uh, black conservatives coming on the scene uh, uh, there, which is a good thing. But they're the ones that are pointing out to their, uh, their brethren to uh, other black Americans they're pointing out that it's not you know the government and it's not white privilege and uh, it's not uh, that they you know they've been uh, they've been put in a, a box by somebody else it's the the biggest problem in black culture these guys are pointing out is the absence of a father they're seeing that they're seeing that you know uh, in their own in their own problems and their own difficulties and it's great to see you know, some conservative leaders rising up in some of these different uh, uh, segments of our American culture that are starting to speak to these issues, you know, uh, because that's where the, that's where the help will, will come from. It will eventually come from, uh, from recognizing that and then doing something about it. Of course, we know the answer is, is not just, you know, figuring out a way to get black families back together. It's figuring a way to get dad saved and get him uh, putting biblical principles back in to his, uh, uh, to his family um, and having a dad at home that, that is there for the kids. So, so the child has an opportunity to grow up with some manly influence in his life. That's so important. But the concepts that uh, we read in Scripture about our need to view ourselves in our relationship to our Heavenly Father as little children and as sheep and as meek, those uh, concepts have nothing to do with, uh, with the... Uh, uh, with the question of masculinity or femininity and that they are they are um, they're an attitude that we ought to have that we ought to encourage uh, in one another but the admonition up to the little children there is to keep yourselves from idols to guard yourself from idols um, we talked about that uh, earlier in in the uh, castle keep and the connection there with the with the guardhouse and our uh, responsibility to guard. Um, if we are unguarded in this area of idols, me, we may let what we read about in, in verse twenty. We may let that sleep uh, uh, slip. Verse twenty says there at the last part. It says the true God. This is the true God. And it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It's everything. It's everything. This Lord Jesus Christ is the true God and is eternal life. Uh, and so the next thing he says is, you got to keep yourselves from idols. He's giving us the true God, eternal life in Jesus Christ. And then he says, but be careful, watch out, be on guard because of the possibility you may slip 
out of uh, your focus on the true God and slip into a situation where you are actually worshiping idols. And we look at that and we say, well, we're not, you know, you see the Old Testament, the idol was an image of stone or a metal or gold-plated or a carved image that they bowed down to, did sacrifices to, they built temples to, and we condemn that kind of idolatry and we get that. We, we say, we're never going to have a problem with that. But that's not what he refers to here in keeping yourselves from it. It wasn't something that you know, the Christians of the first century were tempted to do. There's no references in the early church to Christians slipping back out into the streets of Corinth and going and offering offerings at the idols' temples. It isn't what's happening there. So what's he referring to and how does that apply to us when he says to us as his little children, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What's that got to do with us today in the 21st century? Um, the, the truth of the business is when anything in our lives becomes central to our lives, that becomes an idol. Because central to our lives is to be the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and anything else that supplants that is an idol. So to keep ourselves from idols, the, uh, the admonition is keep Jesus Christ central in your life and be careful not to let all the other stuff that we have to deal with in life become that which draws us away from the centrality in our life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he is uh, driving home for us today. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3 for a minute. Colossians chapter 3 and uh, go through a couple of a few things here uh, briefly tonight. Colossians chapter 3 and uh, I want to look at verse 1 through 4. And where our affections are to be set, how Christ is to be central. Look here, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear then he shall also appear with him in glory, as they've been singing about and talking about tonight. But look at that phrase, when Christ, who is our life. Christ Jesus is to be central, he's to be the hub of our life, be the focus of our life. When Christ, who is our life. And so uh, that's, the, uh, that's the, the, the idea here. Let's in our mind, put a, put a circle with Christ in the center of that. Then outside that circle, you've got, you know, divide that in your mind into, um, take, a, take a pizza pie cutter and divide that circle up into several slices there, but leave that central Christ in the center of that. But in that circle of life, there are several roles, there are several places that you and me find ourselves in the in the circle of uh, our life and so uh, we have you know our personal life things that you know are just us uh, ourselves our personal life and um, we have our our family life we have a slice of our life that deals with our family and then our extended family that part of our life we have our job our occupation our work life that's different from our family life it's different from our personal life but it is a function of our time every 
uh, week. We have, uh, you know, our church life. We have a relationship with our church, our pastor, uh, our brethren. There's, our ch- there's that segment of our life which is directly, you know, influenced by the church, our church. And we have, uh, you know, our, our community life. We have our uh, life in the neighborhood where we live, in the city we live in, in the state we live in, the politics that goes on in our city, in our state, uh, the taxes that we pay, the public stuff that relates to us. That's another segment of our life. You might call it our community life. But as you go through Colossians chapter 3, you see the apostle addressing all of those areas and how important it is for us to uh, to keep them in balance. But the, the balance on this wheel that you've constructed in your mind with Christ at center, at the center, and Him, uh, your life, then all the other things are pretty easy to, to balance. Uh, they're all pretty easy to balance if Christ is, stays where He belongs in the center uh, of your life. The, they get out of balance, and uh, the, any one of these areas can get out of balance when, when the focus of our life and the central part of our life becomes something other than Jesus Christ in the center, you know? So uh, when it slips out of gear there and our central focus becomes our, our family, or our central focus becomes our occupation, or our central focus becomes our personal goals and, and, uh, and our own um, desires, you know, the, the, something in our personal life, that becomes more important than anything else. Uh, Any of those areas can supplant the centrality of Jesus Christ in our life. So the apostle takes pains to address all of those areas in the uh, in Colossians chapter three, and we we don't have time to develop uh, the uh, the uh, the whole thing tonight. We may um, we may conclude it tomorrow, or or uh, just give you give you some. Um, uh, input tonight and let you take it from there. We'll see how this thing goes. But in your personal life, you look at uh, the, the putting off and the putting on that is there, the right affections that we just read about in the first part of the chapter, the right kind of affections, and the things you need to put off. He gives them down there in Colossians chapter 3. There's stuff you need to put off. And he says, verse 8 there, you uh, put off uh, all these anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication out of your mouth and lie not one to another, uh, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. And there's some things to put on there that are given to us in verse uh, 10 and, and on there. So uh, those things have to do with our personal life, our personal testimony, and those are our responsibilities. To keep that part of our life in balance, we need to be at that. We need to be putting off. Um, you know, if I was to, to, to uh, have a show of hands and said, how many of you have a problem in this area and that area? One of the major ones with many of us would be the, the, the sin of anger. You know, we get anger. Some people get angry at people. I don't get, a, I don't hardly ever, uh, people don't anger me. I don't get angry at people. I don't get angry when I get cut off on, a, on the freeway. I don't get angry. You know, people very seldom anger me. My wife angers me once in a while. But, <laughs> but people generally don't anger me. You know, I don't get angry at people and get, you know, in a, in a tiff about that. 
but things that go wrong anger me that, you know, that shouldn't go wrong. I mean, I don't think they should go wrong. The principles of physics do say they should go wrong. When you hit the nail crooked, it will bend, you know. But that uh, angers me when the, when the nail, I've struck the nail and it's bent and it's ruined the woodwork, you know. And, or I've stripped the screw, you know, as I just got it in and last turn and popped the head off and, you know. Uh, Things like that anger me, and uh, you know, I just I wish you were a little man. I'd beat the tar out of you, you know. So, uh, so things like that anger you, and you get back in the flesh, and you get saying and thinking and doing things that are not pleasing to the Lord, you know, in those areas. So he says, for us to have that balance in that part of our life and keep Christ central uh, in our life, we need to deal with the putting off, the putting on, the keeping the balance in our personal life, in our church life. He mentions some of the things that we might say would, would be connected to that in verse 11, uh, down through along about verse 14 or so. Uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. The idea that, you know, people of all different backgrounds, all different nationalities, all different uh, walks of life are going to be part of our, uh, of our experience in a body of believers, you know, in the culture that we live in. And so that's there. And he says um, on, down in verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. These all have to do with how we relate to other, uh, other people, especially in the confines of a church family there. Uh, he says, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. Uh, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And so the implication there has to do with brethren and the need for forgiveness and the brotherly love and the bond of perfectness, the completeness of a body of believers that is there. So it has a real you know, connection, real application to our church family. So in that slice of the pie of your life, your church and your relationship with church and what you're doing with the brethren at church there, let's keep that in balance as well by applying these biblical principles of uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3. And in that part, you have the other areas, the, the family and the home life. You know, uh, as you go on down there, you can kind of see some uh, emphasis there. Verse 18, wives, submitting yourselves to your own husbands as fit to the Lord. I got a hold of a Bible uh, by the, uh, from uh, one of our uh, men that was a member of our church there in in uh, Oregon, Richard Hopkins, he moved back out here. Some he's a Midwestern boy, you know. I loved him. He's a he was a Cornhusker and, and that, and I love him. And uh, Kansas was where he's originally from, I think. But uh, liberal Kansas, that's where it was. And uh, but for years he had been out. He and his family had been out in Oregon and there. And uh, he was, you know, a rough cob of a guy, and you know, just uh, expected a lot of his wife and everything. And hardworking guy, good guy, not not uh, not a bad fellow. But he just, you know, had that old mentality of. You know, she used to do this and she used to do that. And, and uh, so he left his Bible behind at church one time. And I was uh, curious whose it was. And I thought it was Richard Hopkins. And so I looked through to see what he had underlined on his Bible. You know, I like to do that. If you leave your Bible behind, I like to see what you, what you got in there. <laughs> Preacher's wrong on this, you know. <laughs> so, 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 so I looked through there and I discovered something funny about Brother Hopkins. He had every verse that had to do with his wife's submission underlined. <laughs> yeah. 
Every verse that had anything to do about his wife, he had that was underlined in his Bible, highlighted. You know, he had none of the verses that had to do with what his responsibility was. <laughs> so I got him aside. I pointed out this out to him, and, and they're still married, and they've been married about 40 years now. So they've got a, well, it was more like 50. They're, they've been married close to 50 years now. So uh, whatever he did, he got it fixed up, and he got it right, and he got his portions underlined as well. Uh, so. <laughs> So uh, pastors, look at your men's Bibles and see who's, who they got underlined there. But for balance in our, uh, in our family experience, we need to be applying these principles uh, as wives loving the husband. It says, verse 19, husband, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And children will be your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. All that has to do with the part of our life that is in the family realm to keep that area balanced our work life is seen in the in the passage as well i uh, look at verse 22 and 23 of uh, of colossians chapter 3 whatsoever you do do it heartily as to the lord and not to men knowing that of the lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the lord christ uh, but he that doeth wrong uh, he that uh, doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and uh, there's no respect to persons. And he says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So the uh, occupation, the, pl the place of uh, the work of our occupation is suggested there on the side of a worker. If you're an employee, he says, you know, work hard and uh, give them your best. I always, you know, the philosophy is if you're working, uh, if you're an employee for uh, some company and you have to be there for eight hours or 10 hours, whatever it is, you got to be there anyway. It isn't going to make any difference about the time as far as the time passing, whether you do as little work as you can or whether you do as much work as you can. So when you do as much work as you can, it's not hurting you anymore. You've got to be there anyway. When you do as much work as you can, you're helping not only the employee, but you're helping yourself as well. And so he says, whatever you find to do, do it heartily and do it like, you, like as if you were working for the Lord, you know. Um, because in a sense, you really are working for the Lord. He's given you the skills to do what you do, and, and, um, and He's blessed you with health and the ability to do it. So do it as unto the Lord. That will really make a difference in your, um, in your attitude toward work and your relationship with your boss and so forth like that. Then He turns it around and He says, look, you guys that are employers and have somebody that works for you, you know, don't treat them like an animal and a slave. He said, uh, he said have some compassion. Uh, give to your servants that which is just and equal. Be fair with them. One of the reasons that the Chick-fil-A franchise is so very successful is first they have honored Christ uh, in their business model and they have honored the Lord's Day in their business model. And they've, the second thing they've done really right is they've done good by their employees, you know. Uh, they have striven to try to make um, this principle true in their business uh, model for their employees. And so you have their, uh, the most, uh, it's, it's rapidly becoming the most successful uh, company of its kind in, in the world, you know. I think it'll soon pass McDonald's and uh, Starbucks, the only two ahead of it right now as far as their earnings. And what's remarkable about it is the other companies are scratching their heads and saying, how are they doing this when they have one less day to do it? You know, <laughs> How are they doing this? And so uh, 
it's, a, it's, a, it's a remarkable uh, evidence of a biblical principle put into practice in business, and it works. Uh, the Bible works wherever it is applied. You know? So, so uh, it, it tells us that about our, our, our work life our, and our community life even is addressed there in chapter 4, verse 5 and verse 6. It says uh, there, um, walk in wisdom toward them which are without. That means outside the church, outside your family, outside of the circle of your, you know, your, your friends, family, and church. Uh, them that are without... Uh, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be all way, all the way with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. She's talking about our conversation and conduct and those that are outside the circle of Christ, you know, and how we need to be careful about our speech, our conduct, our, our um, relationships with them are in balance that way. So all of those different areas there you know um, in our work life the bible makes it clear uh, that uh, in all labor there is profit it makes it clear that god is not uh, approving of slothfulness and laziness and so um, all those things have have their application so here's uh, some truth to just uh, to glean from what we've what we've just laid out there truth number one um, when any of these roles becomes more important of a priority um, than, than you're out of balance, you know, and you have, you have not kept yourself from idols. Uh, truth number two, we all have limitations in all of our roles. We've all got limitations. We have time limitations, you know. You only got so much time. We have more time than we think, you know. There's 16 waking hours in a day. And you get a lot done in 16 waking hours in a day. Uh, we have more time than we think, but we do have a, a limit. There's a limit to the time we have to do what we have to do. So that's a, one of our limitations. We all have limitations of physical strength, you know. We, we can go so far, and that's all the farther we can go. We have a limitation on our physical strength. We have limits. Uh, we, you know, we're not, we don't have all abilities and all talents and all gifts. We can't do all things. We're not a master of all trades. You, you know, somebody says I'm a jack of all trades, but uh, very few people uh, claim they're a master of all trades. <laughs> so we're limited in our abilities, our talents, our gifts. We're limited there. Now, we don't, we don't want to let laziness be an excuse for not doing all we're able to do, but, uh, but we need to recognize our limits. It's how, I'm talking about keeping all of these areas of our life circle in some sort of balance. There's a limit, in, there's limits you need to impose. You need to recognize your limits uh, and uh, deal with these different areas of your life with those limits in mind to keep them in balance so that Christ remains our life, the center of our life. There's limitations of our energy. And as uh, Brother Stevens gets older, he's slowing down, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, there's limitations of our energy. We need some sleep. Uh, you know, some of these old guys, they don't seem to ever need sleep. You know, I remember uh, Dennis Brown, Brother Dennis Brown, uh, up in Yakima, Washington. He's uh, um, Dave Brown's dad and uh, Dennis, young Dennis Fountain's um, grandfather you know so what uh, brother brown did and he's probably 
but when he did this, he's probably 80 years old. He gets uh, Dennis, uh, he gets Dave Brown to take over the church in Yakima, Yakima Bible Baptist, Calvary Baptist Church in Yakima, isn't it? Um, and or is it Yakima Bible? It's Yakima Bible Baptist Church that. So Dave Brown's been pastor there forever, but uh, but we remember when Dennis was the pastor up there in the Northwest, and Dave was the associate. He's got Dave in there. He gets Dennis Fountain, who's the same age as Dave, um, although he's the grandson <laughs> instead of the son. And he gets Dennis Fountain. He puts him over in Greeley, Colorado, another church that Dennis uh, was was pastoring, was keeping open. He puts them in the work in Greeley, Colorado. And then what he does is he flies back and forth. Dennis, he flies up to, this is the old man, he flies up to, um, to Yakima and he works with Dave those two weeks and he flies back down to Greeley and he works with Dennis those other two weeks. And the two guys are good friends of mine, both of them. And they both said, Bill, they said, we could, we could just not wait until uh, Grandpa went back up to Yakima or went down there. We couldn't wait because he killed us, you know. He, he lived on about three hours of sleep a night and he expected us to be up the same time he was, you know, and out there at it, you know, on the doors and at the work and six days a week, seven days a week and, and uh, in his 80s, you know. So he was one of the old men that didn't, uh, didn't run out of gas until God finally took him home. And both, of the, both, the, both his son and grandson were rejoicing when he died and went home. <laughs> so, so they... They actually were able to have a day off after this. <laughs> so he, he uh, Grandpa didn't understand the limitations of uh, his son and his, uh, and his grandson. He didn't get that. But we, we do know that. We, under, we get that. You know, we need sleep. We need a Sabbath. We need a day of rest. We need a break from the routine. We need to come apart and have a vacation. Our families need that. You need that. We need that. We need revival. Every one of us needs regular time of reviving in our spirit and our soul and refreshing from the Lord. Every church, every pastor ought to schedule revivals, meetings in his church and have someone in to preach uh, that revival and just to stir and challenge and refresh uh, the uh, people in that area. So uh, to be to be able to to recognize though the limits we have on our on energy and uh, the limits we have on our time, as I mentioned before, and the limits we have on our resources. We have limitations in our resources too. We only have so much that God has given us to work with. So we're limited there as well. So in recognizing our limitations, we're, uh, we're trying to retain our balances. And the third truth is this, uh, our limitations, uh, with our limitations in mind, we look at the various roles in our life and we have to learn something. We have to learn in these roles in our life when to say yes and when to say no. And so there's only one role in your, only one place in your life where you never say no. That's in the central role where Jesus Christ at center. Whatever the Lord Jesus Christ tells us is always yes. The answer is always yes, Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, yes. To whatever he tells us, it's always going to be yes. But in every other role in our life, it's going to be yes and it's going to be no. In the role of the family, there's some, some things the family wants to do where you, dad has to say, no, I can't do that. Uh, I have these limitations. I have the limitation of time. I got to be at work these hours. I can't stay home and, you know, have 
play, you know, play games with you uh, there. I can't swing you on the swing 150 times. I just don't have the strength to do it anymore, you know. And, and so uh, there's yes and there's no in the family. There's, there needs to be in the occupation. The boss is saying, you're a great employee, you know, and I just need you to look just this one Sunday uh, come in and then it's two Sundays and then it's every Sunday, you know. Um, the occupation then becomes central and the, uh, the occupation becomes that which you can't say no to. And the, you need to have that balance. I mean, you, do, you can say yes and you do need to say yes as much as you can say yes in your occupation, but there has to be the no as well. And you, you just need to know your limitations in that and, and be able to see, is my, is my occupation becoming the idol that is pulling me away from Christ as the center of my life? Is my occupation becoming that which is most important? Am I going to move across country and pull my roots up and take my family and move someplace because here's a job opportunity that pays double what I'm getting now, but I don't know if there's a church there, and I know I'm leaving a big hole in the church I'm going from, but this job, it's just such a dream job and a great opportunity. Wait a minute. Are we saying yes to something that maybe we should be saying no to? Are we saying yes to something that's becoming more important than the centrality of Jesus Christ in our life? It's a, you know, it's a sobering thing and it's a difficult decision sometimes. Uh, it is a difficult decision, no doubt, in, in many of these areas. But the balance needs to uh, be there. There's yes and no in all those different areas that, uh, you know, that we need to address in order to keep that balance uh, where, it needs to, where it needs to be. So, um, so recognize that, realize that in all those different uh, categories and say, Lord, help me to understand where the balance is. Help me to understand where the no is or where the yes is, you know, and to be able to, uh, to keep those areas of my life uh, in balance so that I can keep Christ central in my life. And little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's go ahead and, and bow our heads together and we'll have a word of prayer.